You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, we'll hear from people fighting the proposed cuts and layoffs at City College of San Francisco about the impact that these cuts would have. Right, so unlike a university or private schools, we don't um, have these screening processes to, to prevent people from coming. So yes, our immigrant population, people learning, learning to speak English so that they can get a job, people making career changes midlife. I've been with the school in one capacity or another for 31 years uh, since the fall of 1990. And this is the biggest crisis since the accreditation. And I would say it even rivals the accreditation crisis that we were in back in 2012. I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Civic. In late February, the City College Board of Trustees voted 5-2 to two to approve sending notices of potential layoffs to 160 full-time faculty and non-renewal of contract notices to 35 administrators. If these layoffs are implemented, the decision won't be final and final notices won't go out until May, that would be a 30% cut to salaried expenditures. For its part, CCSF says the existence of the college is at stake and called on labor partners, elected representatives, and others in the community to work with the college through its financial difficulties. City College is facing a projected budget shortfall of $33 million for its 2021-22 fiscal year. A City College spokesperson told us the college has to reduce its schedule and that it's cutting sections, not programs, but stressed that students will still have choices. Today, to start what's hopefully a series of discussions about City College and its future, we'll bring you a conversation with three people who've been trying to prevent these cuts about the impact that they would have on students and the broader community. My name is Vic Van Chung. I use they, them pronouns, and I am uh, currently the student trustee on the board of trustees for the college. And my name is Era. I am a student. I'm also part of an art activist group called CTSF Collective. I'm also part of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee from the Student Senate of California Community Colleges. And my name is Mary Bravewoman. I'm a mathematics faculty member. I'm also currently the uh, vice president of the Teachers Union AFT 2121. In late February, the City College Board of Trustees voted 5-2 to two to approve sending notices of potential layoffs to 160 full-time faculty and non-renewal of contract notices to 35 administrators. If these layoffs are implemented, the decision won't be final and final notices won't go out until May, that would be a 30% cut to salaried expenditures. For its part, CCSF says the existence of the college is at stake and called on labor partners, elected representatives, and others in the community to work with the college through its financial difficulties. City College is facing a projected budget shortfall of $33 million for its 2021-22 fiscal year. A City College spokesperson told us the college has to reduce its schedule and that it's cutting sections, not programs, but stressed that students will still have choices. Today, to start what's hopefully a series of discussions about City College and its future, we'll bring you a conversation with three people who've been trying to prevent these cuts about the impact that they would have on students and the broader community. I'm hoping that you could maybe all share your stories of how you came to City College and what path that set you on um, once you attended. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I started, you know, the first time I like, actually came into interactions with City College was um, my, my parents, actually, when they first um, you came to the U.S. as refugees from Vietnam. My my father actually found his first job at City College. Um, 
of course, by the time it got to my generation, uh, I, I attended when I was in high school. Um, it got me, right, the courses I needed to sort of elevate my application for a four-year university. So I, you know, I came back from UC Davis uh, with a bachelor's and um, realized very quickly that I uh, didn't like the profession that I, I got my bachelor's in. And I actually came back to City College and um, it was actually in that process that, um, you know, I came to, with the time and and the, the community that was there, um, you know, I learned that I, it was, it was in that process that I was able to heal and, um, leave a, an, an abusive, um, you know, relationship. And it's, it's given, it's given me the power to, you know, to accept that I'm a survivor and also to, to live beyond it. So that's my story. And for me, um, so I'm born and raised in Los Angeles. I wanted to sort of restart my life. And that led to me going to San Francisco. And I thought that I should try to pursue my education as I had a very disrupted education. I'm a non-traditional student, much older, um, don't have my degree yet. And that's why City College was such a pivotal opportunity for me. It really made me want to be academically ambitious and try to pursue what I wanted to pursue. And I got involved, I registered, and then that's how I got tied into also the Women's Research Center. And then it was another way for me to get, to find employment and get involved in community organizing too. It's interesting, uh, Vic and Ira are um, both a lot younger than I am, but we share a lot of parallels in our stories. I was born and raised in Santa Cruz, um, about 80 miles south of here. And I came to San Francisco recently separated from um, my husband and um, with a three-year-old child in tow, no family or friends in San Francisco, and didn't really know what I was going to be doing with my life. I just knew I needed to provide for my daughter. I needed to get away from the abuse that I was involved in previously. And uh, City College opened up a world of opportunities to me. So I started taking classes and just general education and um, was introduced to mathematics through a program um, at City for um, underrepresented students. And it was through that program that started a, opened a doorway and a, and a, and a path in my life that, that literally saved it. Um, and I, I graduated from City and stayed connected to the college as I transferred to San Francisco State and, and started working as a tutor and tutored during the time it took me to complete my bachelor's and master's at state and then um, applied for the full-time position in, in mathematics when, when I graduated in 2006. took me a very long time to get through school um, because I was a um, single parent. And, and as I said, I had no family or, or friends. The community I built all grew out of my connections at City College. And, and that's how I got myself established here in San Francisco. 
Mary, I'm hoping you could give us a sense of the scale of these cuts. We've been hearing about City College struggling for years. How do these compare to what has happened previously and the crises that City College has weathered previously? This is the biggest crisis. I've been with the school in one capacity or another for 31 years uh, since the fall of 1990. And this is the biggest uh, crisis since the accreditation, and I would say it even rivals the accreditation crisis that we were in back in 2012. It's pretty severe. Yeah, Victor, did you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I, I think what's really terrifying and what's at stake is that, you know, you, I think we it's important for us to recognize that, you know, the, the pandemic hasn't gone away. If anything, those who are like me, who need this college, right, for economic and job prospects, right, opportunities for these job job prospects. We're in need of more community spaces, right, spaces for for members like me, our black and brown, uh, you know, siblings to, to really heal from not only domestic violence, but also internalized violence, right, from all around us that has been fed to us, you know, since we were young, that, that we're worthless, right? This, this is sort of the space that is really needed. And, you know, with the, you know, the, the, the budget deficit that we're in and with the proposed, you know, faculty layoffs that's coming, that has come about, it's, we, we really stand to lose quite a lot, right? It's, it's not just, and it's not something that's going to just, immediately hurt us. This is going to have generations of impact. Era, did you want to add to that? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think it's just what like is alluding to, which is how City College is not just purely the programs and certificates, but then also what leads into that, such as the not only the employment, but then the community spaces that it provides. I met so many students where they've had another restart at the community college, such as myself. Um, and also how just we are all in the midst of this pandemic where we are relying on these student support services, on social services overall. And a lot of that comes freely through the community college. So if that gets cut out, then we have little spaces to go in the city itself. You've um, you framed these cuts as an extension of a culture of institutional racism at City College. Could you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, I, I think, right, institutional racism is is something that we exist across institutions, right, across um, our culture where, you know, you know, white, dominant, patriarchal, able-bodied, right, heteronormative culture is, is, is really something that, you know, it, it defines and, you know, frames everything that we do um, when we interact with society. Our society took some time to really, you know, break down or even address, right, structural racism, even in the hiring practices, right? And so a lot of the faculty that will be looking to be laid off will likely be faculty of color. But we also have to understand that what we stand to lose, right, is that the fact is all community colleges really, but particularly ours, serves primarily Black and Brown students, right? Black and brown people, black and brown communities. And so any sort of cuts in this space automatically 
right, perpetuates racism. Yeah, and just to add on to that, I think part of the institutional racism is how there are cuts to the, of course, the ethnic studies department, uh, specifically when it comes to the African American studies department. Um, they say on that list of 160 FTEs that are taken away or the laid off that there isn't any from the AFAM, but then Unless I'm wrong, Mary, there are faculty from different departments that teach AFAM studies that are getting cut or that are getting laid off. And then, sure. Mm -hmm. um, and then just added onto that, it's the services that are provided, the support services, where it's not only an underfunding and providing for the faculty and for the courses, but then also the support services where the there isn't a space for the Black Student Union. Um, when they had the student success building they didn't include the African-American Resource Center. Um, there are so many students that are speaking out in support of just not needing classes, but then also the way it's structured where they're included in one block formats per week, which isn't feasible for BIPOC students who are challenging or who are juggling, for instance, their jobs and then also family life too. And there's so much more I could speak about in terms of um, like how cutting away these ethnic studies courses also leads to less representation if you take away these faculty. And then that also leads into how you're taking away implicit bias or how you structuring racism by not allowing these courses to be a part of the community college. And sorry, that, that was sort of a lot. Then go ahead, Mary. Yeah, I, I think um, yeah, there are, uh, so, so African-American studies, um, the AFAM program is very small, but as Ira um, mentioned, there are faculty members in different departments that have cross-listed courses that serve those students. And some of those faculty are at risk. The other thing I want to raise up is classes that are, that are not considered uh, necessarily um, for, for junior colleges, um, right. Or, or lead directly to um, certificate or transfer. Um, I'm thinking right now of PE and the athletics department they, they have a, a very dedicated counselor that serves the athletes at the school. And right, a lot of times exercise classes, PE classes are, are places, they're an entry course where a student comes, takes, takes something and then gets interested in other courses on campus. And for our athletes, a lot of times, you know, these are, these are mostly students of color, uh, this is their entry into academics and being able to be supported in doing their teamwork as well as their academics. Their one counselor that serves them is on that list. And without that counselor, and there are 15 counselors, they're, they're being targeted disproportionately to some other departments as much as almost 40%. And they serve everybody. They're not in the classroom. They serve our most vulnerable students. They serve our veterans. They serve our homeless students. They serve our students of color, and they're all specialized in different areas. And so, again, this is another reason why this is an equity issue. If it's allowed to go forward unfettered, it, it is a perpetuation of institutional racism. That may not be the intent, but that is certainly will be part of the impact. Yeah, I also want to add that, you know, this is by no means to, you know, undercut all the success that, you know, we've been able to achieve despite, right, 
being chronically underfunded. As far as, um, you know, nationwide, we, we have the first LGBT studies. We have the first, and I, I believe actually the only Philippine studies department. I think it's important to, you know, understand that it, everything that Air has mentioned, it is, I don't think it's unique to our institution, right? I think um, we're still battling a lot of processes that are really ripple effects of the way that we've been trained and we have been conditioned, right? And so as we're talking about this, it's I think it's important to recognize that the departments, the faculty that are least tenured, that have the least support are going to be essentially the ones that are likely going to be harmed the most. Let me drop in here to give you some more response from City College about the concern raised here that these cuts would impact people of color the most. Spokesperson Rosie Zepeda told our producer, Liana Wilcox, that the demographics of the Bay Area have changed dramatically. The college has an inflated schedule, but when the pandemic hit, it lost some 6,000 students, she said. There are a lot of non-credit students, and it's very difficult to take English courses remotely. The numbers have actually dwindled for years due to demographic shifts, including gentrification, she said, in the area. She also said the programs are still going to be there, but now there will be cuts to sections if they're not filled to capacity. Students of color will still have availability, she said. I'm speaking with three guests about proposed city college cuts. Era Kien, a student at the college, Mary Bravewoman, a faculty member in the math department and vice president of AFT 2121, the union representing teachers at the college, and Vic Van Chung. They're the student trustee on the CCSF Board of Trustees. I'm hoping that all of you could talk a little bit more about the departments and classes and people who are slated to be cut under under this proposal, um, if you want to call it that, uh, and and who, who takes those classes, who benefits from those things, who will be harmed. We've talked a little bit about this, but I mean, there are so many different um, groups that have relied on City College as a resource. I'm thinking also of immigrants, for example, who we haven't talked about as much, um, who might benefit from ESL courses. But if you could just share a little bit more about who you see as these vulnerable populations who are going to be harmed by these cuts. City College is open to anyone who has a curiosity who has, who has um, a desire to learn, who has a desire to change or improve their life. And, um, right, so unlike a university or private schools, we don't um, have these screening processes to, to prevent people from coming. So yes, our immigrant population, people learning, learning to speak English so that they can get a job, people making career changes midlife, you know, like I mentioned earlier, our homeless population, I every semester, I have at least two or three homeless students. If you uh, back when we were on campus, Judson Avenue, and all around the the streets surrounding the campus, were um, there are several motorhomes and uh, people living in their cars, and many of those p- people living in their cars were students, right? Um, wow. So City College offers a, a a place for them to to come and improve their lives and gain job skills, move on, as well as our veterans. I uh, we have a large veteran population 
at City College and first-generation students, the, the list just goes on. Yeah, and just adding to that, I think when it comes to addressing the most vulnerable students, a framework that the community college system uses is student equity. And for CCSF, the student equity groups are African-American, they're Latinx, they're Pacific Islander, they're Filipino, they're students with disabilities, um, LGBTQ. And the reason why I'm opening it up with this is because the African-American students, um, I'm seeing the stats where the African-American studies are getting cut 33%, going from six classes from 2020 to 2021 to four classes from 2021 to 2022. And that also leads into Filipino studies, where the only full-time faculty is getting potentially laid off, which is so upsetting. Bridging into that is students with disabilities, where DSPS may get cut by 40%. And keeping in mind that when we examine disabilities, of course, it's disabilities such as developmentally delayed, hearing impaired, or learning disabilities, or even visual impairment. And it's also the psychological disabilities. And I see that on SF Public Press, there was a recent article about trauma and grief during COVID. I could only imagine how many students would need the support of DSPS because that's a program that would support students that need that during this time. Not to mention the different intersectionalities between all these different student equity groups. Yeah, and to, I mean, to t- really touch on intersectionality, I think what's really important is I think you know, we, we tend to have this cut and dry image of what is a, what does a homeless student look like, right? And, or what does someone who is formerly incarcerated look like? But what we need to understand is that the programs that and services we offer at City College, because the way that we have fused these services with educational opportunities, opportunities for people to uplift themselves and feel empowered are so interwoven into the curriculum and into the into the community that I mean I, I kind of circle back to my situation, right? When when the pandemic started, I recently became housing insecure. Right. So not really some cut and dry experience, right? I think it's important to understand that, you know, we we serve an incredibly vulnerable population who's likely to have experienced right transgenerational trauma. And, it, and we absolutely need places like City College to to really be there to be that net that catches them before they enter a cycle of, you know, feeling like like they've experienced learned helplessness. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that um, all of you could talk a little bit about how you see and whether you see your perspectives influencing the conversation about what is going to happen next. I want to start with Vic, because the student trustee is a non-voting member of the Board of Trustees. From what I understand, you can make and second motions, but you can't vote. Could you talk a bit about your role and, and what it's been like for you to attend meetings under those circumstances? Oh, just, just, um, I've actually talked to my therapist about this. This is, uh, it's, it's actually, I, I would too. <laughs> it's, um, it is, it is something that, um, you know, it's, it's been an experience where I've had to, f- you know, frame it and move through it in a way that is about, you know, testing my ability to, to really come face to face with what, you know, someone 
treating me like I'm worthless and that my opinion doesn't matter, right? Like it really, really coming, it's it's really been a form of exposure therapy for me, or at least that's how, uh, that's how we're trying to process it um, in my therapy session is, right, because I've been through nearly three decades three decades of domestic abuse, right, including um, child sexual abuse. And so that internalized message of me trying to prove myself and me trying to speak truth to power has been um, diminished so much that it's it's been incredibly difficult to be on the board. I think the first, actually, first few meetings, I think I um, I cried. It, it triggered me to have nightmares because it because I would go to bed feeling the feelings still so agitated and of course it like it triggered trauma related to my past but I think what's what's frustrating is that it's that our our trustees have felt really disempowered over the years to really push for you know for, to push for more than just settling with what budget we have, right? I think so much of it has to do with asking and and lobbying for additional funding from our state, from our federal government, from from the city, right? We like the free city program that we have right now. It, it doesn't it doesn't fund the operational cost of of the institution, right? It doesn't it doesn't pay for all the facilities, it doesn't pay for our counselors, it pays for the students to enroll right in these classes. It's it's direct student support, but it doesn't it doesn't allow for us to have those opportunities available to begin with. It's been heartbreaking, I think, you know, to 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 put it lightly, to to see where we are. And I am hoping that more of us, you know, have the courage to fight for our educational institutes, you know, not just the trustees, but I think what I've realized in serving in political office is that, you know, you spend so much time looking into the details and looking into all the reasons for, and reading, you know, into all these policies for why things are the way they are that, Oftentimes we need people to push us, our constituents to push us to ask for more, to do more. Yeah, so that's that's kind of where I am. I'm hoping that um, we all organize together and we, you know, we ask the trustees to, you know, not settle for a solution that may cause you know, as, a, as an institution that employs people during this pandemic is not to lay people off. We ask that the city, right, sees us as an entity that they had a hand in building decades ago, right, that our adult education program was originally um, something that was funded and, you know, it, that came to fruition because of the city, that they support that again, that they you know, they understand the value of it and the value that it adds to the city and um, understand and understands the need to fund it, that our that our state also does the same. Yeah. Yeah. Ira, I wonder if you could add to that a little bit and, and talk about what you have been calling for and whether you feel like students are being heard. 
Yeah, absolutely. I just want to first thank Thick for um, just being so open as you are. And I've actually met them through a Project Survive program, which is a peer educator program dedicated towards ending um, violence from all power structures. So I really commend you, Vic, and you have such I have, I have such deep respect for you for trying to to, to just navigate those systems. Um, for me, in terms of what I'm calling for, I think starting from the principle of this belief of beloved community, part of Martin Luther King's practices behind peaceful protesting, and it's about building connections between different students, and then not just only students, but then also students and the faculty, and then with the community organizations too. Um, I'm working alongside other organizers in terms of how are we building with outside community organizations, how are we building within ourselves? For instance, DSPS, how are we all uniting together? And then talking to the department chair and then ensuring that we are attempting to get the voices heard. And that leads into how we're working with hopefully the union, the students union for Berkeley and Stanford and trying to get them to be agitated and join our fights too, because as everyone has been hinting upon, what's happening at City College is a part of a larger issue with austerity education where things are getting dwindled down for whatever reason. And that also leads into the ESL department and how we're connecting to immigrant students, and then specifically in the Asian community with, with everything that has been happening. It's so upsetting to hear yeah, the, these reports <laughs> of violence here. against Asian Americans that just yeah, will not stop. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And you mentioned, you mentioned how would the most vulnerable people get affected by this? For ESL, it's not just learning English to pass classes, but then it's also a way for people to voice their rights. Um, specifically, non-credit ESL, it was learning job training and employment rights. But then overall, it's advocating for who you are and in the face of violence, in the face of white supremacy and everything that it's being done to harm our communities. Um, so I'm, I'm very in the throes of this because part of what I'm trying to do is reach out to other community colleges, such as Glendale Community College, who is doing a uh, Black Student Union Coalition across all different spaces, because we recognize this underfunding to education. We recognize the need that there needs to be more funneled in because it's not just as pursuing our education to pursue the workforce, then it's also as building community safety, trying to address systems that are making us either invisible, either harmed, or just protecting spaces that could really lead to brighter futures, not only independently, but then collectively too. And do you feel like City College leadership has been receptive to your organizing efforts and, and to just the voices of students? I think we've been very adamant and we've been very insistent. Um, Vic, Mary, I think we're all attempting to have conversations with them. I think we're always trying to have an open door with trying to make changes all together. Um, and being very intentional with not creating an us versus them mentality, right. but that we all need to work alongside one another. But then to directly answer your question, I think I, I really appreciate Trustee Alan Wong and Trustee Alia Chisti for voting against the layoffs. And I'm holding on to hope that the rest of the trustees will be open to working with us on other efforts, such as like the Rebuild City College campaign, which is calling for the higher education enrichment fund um, from COVID to go to get redirected to preventing these layoffs. 
Thanks. Yeah, Mary, I wanted to get your thoughts on this too. Um, whether what what you would like to see from leadership, what next steps you feel should be pursued, and and whether you feel heard on those issues. Yeah. So, um, you know, um, AFT twenty one twenty one has been working. Um, uh, for a long time, and we were actually very close to having a charter amendment added to the city's budget. At the time, I think we had seven of our, our eight trustees, and we were working on an eighth trustee um, to support city in in getting a charter amendment for um, a set aside of $40 million per year to go directly to the college, similar to what um, um, the the city did several years ago. Or unified, and we had that support. We were moving forward, and that was a year ago. And the pandemic hit, and um, that support from the city uh, dried up. And um, but one place where um, you know we did get, uh, we didn't have as much support as we would have liked was from um, upper administration and from the trustees. And that that chancellor is is since gone, and and we're we're in the process of looking for another full-time chancellor. And I think that's been part of, that's been part of the struggle, right? Not having a strong leadership with a, with a clear direction for the school and the influence from the state to want to downsize city college. There are folks in, in state legislation who think that we are too big, that, Mm. that, um, that we need to be brought down to size. Um, I think one piece that's really missing there is that unlike the other colleges and the college districts, community college districts in the state, is that San Francisco is its own city and county, and we we sar- serve a large population. Therefore, you know, our size is necessitated. You know, we, we are in negotiations with the district. Um, I'm on the bargaining team for um, AFT 2121, and we are in, in talks uh, directly around the impacts of these, of these proposed layoffs. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that we will come to some sort of an agreement. Uh, I do, I would like to see the, the administration, the trustees, elected leaders, make a stronger effort to bring in additional revenues into the school. The student-centered funding formula um, sometimes called the SCIF, has us in a, a hold harmless pattern right now, but we would we, we stand to lose even more revenue from the state. And, and we're not the only college that is suffering from this formula. So yeah, the formula seems like a sort of self-reinforcing problem, no? I mean, if you have fewer students, you get fewer money. So then what do you offer to students that is important and exciting and new and useful when you don't have the money to add new students. Yes. And, and there is an effort at the state level to, um, again, we're not the only college that is being negatively impacted by this. So there's, there's some efforts there, but we are still fighting to bring in more revenue. We're actively meeting with supervisors and, and advocating at the state level. We are trying to bring in um, more revenue to the school so that we can fix a structural issue because the situation that we're in right now has certainly been complicated by COVID. And you could point fingers at 
past chancellors and, and, and poor decisions. But regardless, even if we had the best administrators at the helm and their intent was to grow the college, we, we would still be in this problem, in this situation to some degree, because we are dealing with a structural issue chronic underfunding. And that that's the thing that we really need to change so that we can become and maintain the, the school that saved my life, that changed the trajectory of my life, you know, from drug and alcohol abuse, with physical and emotional abuse to one of peace and happiness and, and uh, being able to see my daughter grow and graduate and start her family. And, you know, City College changes lives. It changes lives for the better, and it doesn't just change the life of the student, but that ripples, and it ch- it, and it changes for the better the, the lives of the families and ultimately the communities that we serve. In terms of my influence, I'm, I'm never going to stop fighting for City College. I am in a position now as the vice president of the union to to maybe amplify my voice a little more than it would be when I was simply faculty or a, uh, a student or a classified employee, because I've been all of those things. And um, But even if without my title, I'm, I'm still going to keep uh, fighting in the trenches with folks to, to make sure that um, City College and, and San Francisco has the college that it deserves. Great. I think that's a great note to end on, but I do want to give Era um, and Vic a chance to weigh in on anything that I didn't give you a chance to specifically talk about that you're just itching to yeah, say. I mean, I, I think what we have to remember is that, right, circling back to the idea that, you know, Amor mentioned before, right, we're not just an institution that provides economic opportunity, but, you know, I, I come from a background of, so I studied health science. And so I under, have understanding that our educational institutes are, they function as a public health institute, right? Like we know that there's a real community health risk with this, right? Just as we understand that, you know, financially, it makes sense to train people and, you know, get people into the workforce. It also is a matter of, um, like, we, we understand that people who have, a college education, that graduate with a college education, live like seven more years than everyone else. You know, while we're still focused on our health, we have to understand like education really is medicine and, and that's what we need, right? It's preventive medicine. Yeah, and I just very much agree with Mary's spirit of keep fighting on and what Vic is mentioning about how essentially cutting down education or underfunding it, it's promoting health inequities because alternatively, if you keep it, it just leads to so much more transform- transformation-wise, um, not only simply through like your own health, but then in terms of addressing social injustices because like, through City College, I was able to, and alongside so many students, fight along other side injustices um, when it came to like anti-Asian hate, when it came to justice for Sean Monterosa, when it came to addressing so many other different things, I don't want to ramble on too much, but I hope the people that are listening really hear what we're trying to say and really try to join in our efforts too. And I just really appreciate it, Laura, that you invited us to this program. Well, I want to thank all of you for yes, you so being so open and, and uh, frankly vulnerable in this conversation. I, I see that and I appreciate it. And thanks for your time.
That was Era Kien, a student, Vic Van Chung, the student trustee, and Mary Bravewoman, a faculty member at City College of San Francisco. Here's some of what the college has said in a previous statement about the cuts. Quote, We stand in solidarity with our college community that the funding model for community colleges must change. We are deeply committed to meeting our student needs while making the changes needed to balance our budget and maintain our accreditation. End quote. The statement also says, quote, We have kept a large schedule in hopes that enrollment would rise, especially through the Free City program. These efforts have not materialized. We have stabilized our senior leadership at the college. Despite these efforts and changes, more changes are in the horizon. The statement also points to some of the expenses the college has. These include $11 million in retiree health care liability costs, a 5% cash reserve need of $9.2 million because the college has no funds for emergencies, and unfunded operations costs of about $4 million. And the college has been deficit spending for at least a decade. It also says it's meeting weekly with AFT 2121, the union representing instructors, negotiating the impacts of the layoffs with a mutual goal to reduce the number of layoff notices that must be issued by May 15th. In a conversation with our producer Liana Wilcox, City College spokesperson Rosie Zepeda said the college has always been open to seeking other types of funding, but not at this point. The situation has been unfolding for 10 years, and the state has said the school needs to operate in financial solvency. With a college being just a step removed from being taken over by the state, it has to show it's taking certain steps. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic. Civic.